Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Disruptive Innovation Podcast, the place where we keep you informed about emerging technologies, innovation, and global trends that are changing the world. I'm your host, Nikisa Meoza, and with me always, Mike Grandinetti. It's a special segment today. We're talking about deep tech. So, Mike, why don't you get our listeners to understand what deep tech is? Uh, sure. It's certainly a new concept, right? Yeah. But let's step back for a second, right? Obviously, this entire podcast series is all about disruptive innovation. Yes. And the underlying enabler of disruptive innovation is fundamentally technology. So when I think about the major societal changes that humankind has gone through, right? The, The hard or the deep tech that was associated with moving to the electrical grid, mm-hmm. the extraordinary amount of underlying technology required to create the internet in the World Wide Web. Right. And now we're approaching industry four and a lot of frontier technologies like artificial intelligence and machine learning and robotics and drones. Um, So what I find really interesting is that, you know, if you look at history uh, for, for the last hundred plus years, the United States federal government, and then more recently, large corporate R&D labs like IBM and Hewlett-Packard and you know, um, AT&T Bell Labs were the primary funders of deep or hard technology R&D. Right. Starting in the 80s, we started to see a lot more of that investment outsourced to the private sector. Okay. Now, what a lot of our listeners probably don't understand, had it not been for the federal government, right? What we all take for granted today, every time we order a package on Amazon or every time we send an email to somebody, right? Had our good friends at the at DARPA, you know, not been funded to create what we now think of as the internet and the web, we wouldn't have the access to all that convenience at our fingertips. Right. GPS, something we all take for granted every time we hail an Uber or a Lyft or every time we try to navigate, you know, the streets. Um, Again, that was another technology that was funded by the federal government and really only saw the light of day during Operation Desert Storm. That's really when it got proven out. So what a lot of our listeners may not understand is that whether we're talking about AI, whether we're talking about the internet, these were 50-year gestation cycles with a lot of stops and starts. So So, this stuff takes time. It's not overnight. So why not bring a thought leader into this discussion, someone actively engaged in funding deep tech, Lee Edwards. So Lee, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, really excited for you to be here. I know you and Mike have been talking a lot about deep tech and uh, love for you to give us an intro, uh, a little bit about you and what you've been doing. And then uh, we're just going to dive into it. Yeah, so I'm the newest partner at Root Ventures. And uh, we're a seed stage fund in San Francisco. We're focused on what we call hard tech. Um, so similar to deep tech, but we'll maybe talk about some of the unique angles we have on it. Okay. But we are um, typically investing around a million dollars, plus or minus a bit, at the seed stage, um, often pre-product, often pre-sales. Um, and we like to think of ourselves as kind of underwriting technical risk. We're all engineers of various kinds. My background is primarily in software. I was CTO at Teespring. And um, yeah, we're, we're just really uh, excited about companies that are using technology uh, to be disruptive rather than, say, business model innovation. Interesting. So, you know, Mike and I talked about deep tech, and uh, I, I know that uh, he was really excited to get you on and got me fired up to know that you were coming. So it takes an incredible amount of courage for a firm like Root Ventures 
to play at this very early stage part of technology commercialization. Right. Okay? And so that's why I thought it would be really great to get Lee in here, talk about run at, at the highest level, you know, because so many of his venture capital compatriots have moved into later stage investments, mm-hmm. uh, you know, growth stage investments, or they're working in much lighter weight technologies. And so it used to be, you know, at the very early formative stages of venture capital that what Lee's firm is doing now is much more commonplace, but today it's much less so. And this is the the real key to continuing to have, you know, technological superiority in the world. So we're going to have Lee share with us sort of, you know, how he and the firm think about this from a thesis level. Mm -hmm. And at some point, we're going to actually dig into some of the really interesting companies that are potentially disrupting their industries. So we'll let Lee maybe describe a little bit about, you know, what what was the founding objective behind Root Ventures and how do you guys think about, you know, your investment criteria and, you know, what what you see as your core strengths that allow you to, you know, be successful with this. Yeah, I think one um, one thing that's definitely true today in the world of venture capital is there's kind of more dollars chasing um, startups and entrepreneurs than in the past. And you're seeing a lot of effects of this. But one of them is that firms really have to kind of differentiate themselves and have to be able to provide value other than the capital. So one thing that we all have in common is we all have engineering backgrounds. So Chrissy uh, was the engineering program manager for the first Apple Watch and iPod Touch, iPod Nano. Uh, Kane has a computer science degree from Harvard, but he's kind of like a walking howstuffworks.com. Uh, <laughs> if you ever met him, you would know exactly what I mean by that. He also runs a Twitter account called Machine Picks. Oh. And Avidan, uh, the founding partner, has a background in algorithmic trading. So mine's mostly in software. I, I did work as a mechanical engineer at, uh, at iRobot here in the Boston area, but okay. I wasn't very good though. Um, <laughs> but, uh, um, so we think that's one area. I think when when investors look at a company that has a lot of technical risk, and we're, we're often you know co-investing, co-leading, or we're um, working with entrepreneurs that we funded to kind of get their next round of funding. And a very common thing we hear from other VCs that pass is there's too much technical risk. It's, it's too early. So we think we have an edge in assessing that risk. And we think that we're comfortable working with companies where maybe their next milestone isn't one, two million dollars of annual revenue. Maybe their next milestone is actually delivering a working robot to the field um, or um, knocking down some, uh, some, some serious unsolved problems in science. So that's kind of how we view and position ourselves. And I do think that there is a bit of a gap in the VC market for this. I think um, people have, if you look at sort of the last stage, the, the companies that are IPOing now that say were being, uh, their seed investment was say, you know, six to eight years ago. A companies like who, for example? Yeah, look at like Uber, Airbnb, okay. Lyft, um, Stripe, uh you know, maybe even like Square, Shopify that uh-huh. you know IPO'd a couple of years ago. But um, the a lot of these companies are there's definitely technology in a lot of them, but a lot of what they're doing, say Airbnb in particular, is really a, a really interesting way to think about the economy and, and a business model. Um, but if you look at some of the other companies that I feel like we talk a little less about, um, unless you're kind of seeped in the valley, mm-hmm. GitHub was a massive acquisition by Microsoft. Yep. That's a company that basically saw the trends 
in the way that people were writing software. And so certainly there's a lot of interesting scalable infrastructure behind GitHub, but also what they're doing is um, understanding what the state of the art of software development tools are. So that's one area. That's an area where I, I focus specifically. And you can also look at Twilio, PagerDuty. Um, uh, Slack's an example of a company actually that started selling to software developers and and their chat application actually expanded into other enterprise um, uh, contracts. But if you look at, if you were the seed investor in Slack, you were looking at... Um, you know what? What is in what's in the engineering workflow that that where there's a gap? So the criteria you talked about, just to just to pull on a couple of things you said there. So GitHub is a good example. I, I looked at the GitHub acquisition and thought that's really Microsoft's way of trying to future proof themselves, right? And so is deep tech and the investment in companies and and the criteria you use is that really intended? Uh, not obviously always, but is that a way for companies like the Microsofts of the world acquiring a GitHub to protect themselves from? what really was an open source, uh, you know, untamed kind of thing. It, it just ran and it was really successful and everybody adopted it, right? Because they believed that it was in many ways not driven by some corporate interest. I mean, what's your take on that? And, and how does that influence what you guys do uh, with your funds in terms of the companies you look at? Yeah, I do think that oftentimes um, deep tech, hard tech is a, an attractive acquisition target for larger companies. I think uh, Mike touched on it a little bit. There's this interesting cycle in innovation in this country of innovation happening in government, like say, for example, DARPAnet, mm-hmm. or innovation happening in large labs, in, like in the past, in the 50s, Bell Labs, uh, working on a lot of interesting technology around radio. And then today, a lot of innovation in startups. Um, and we also see innovation in large companies. If you look at quantum computing and self-driving cars, uh, very large companies are investing in this. Um, but Sometimes the innovation is happening outside of these large companies and they kind of see the writing on the wall and they they make an acquisition. If Microsoft had tried to build their own GitHub, they certainly could on the technology side. They absolutely could. Right. But what they couldn't do is bring in the community. Bring and everybody in together. Yep. Exactly. And 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 I think, you know, I, I obviously don't work at Microsoft, but I imagine that a lot of the value that they perceive in GitHub, obviously the community, but also sort of the large corpus of of data really all the code in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, if you can imagine in the future, there being a lot of value in uh, being able to use and analyze that data. Um, so it's interesting as an investor, you know, I think there's lots of different opinions on this, even different opinions within our firm. I'm typically not interested in companies that are looking to try to get acquired. I'm more interested in what's the largest version of this company. Maybe you get so big with this technology, you disrupt this industry right. that you buy it. Right, so we we'll get into some companies later, but you know some of our investments that are working in say agriculture or food tech, um, you know rather than selling to uh, Dole or McDonald's, I would love to see them get so big that um, they actually are uh, destroying their competition because their you know their business is simply better due to technology that can't really be copied. So, Lee, so let me pick up on that. Yeah, so, go ahead, Mike. So you think about Amara's law, right? And Amara's law for our listeners, uh, very simply, people always overestimate the impact of technology in the short term and dramatically underestimate it in the long term. Okay. And then you couple that with the famous hype cycle mm-hmm. where- Trough-induced disillusionment. yep. Just, you know, just every technology goes through this. So when you think about the kind of investments, Lee, that you're making, right? And as you said, you'd much rather see these be the, the game changers that that are long-term sustainable companies that truly change their industries or their categories. It takes a lot of staying power to do that, 
right? And you're a seed stage fund, right? So, so how do you think about the role that you will play in seeing these companies navigate what's, what is always going to be a bumpy road with all the technical risk, right? So that you have some level of control or influence as the company scales to this level of, of you know, societal impact. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's one thing that I feel like, you know, we're a relatively new firm. First investment was about six years ago. And, and you know, I joined almost a year ago to the day, actually. Um, but uh, one thing we've done really well is the companies we are working with that are now sort of Series B, Series C, um, we underwrote the technical risk early on. We worked with those Series A investors. And, and actually, in a lot of cases, we're also working with um trying to help bring in Series B, Series C investors. But what we've been able to do is remain that first phone call for these companies. Mm -hmm. So they, the biggest challenge at, say, Series C, certainly there's going to be technology innovation that's happening. Um, some, one, I'll give a specific example. So uh, we have a company called Particle that's an internet-connected microcontroller. So basically, okay. it's the brains, it's the software and the hardware behind uh, interconnect internet-connected devices. So IoT they're using devices. like Arduino and things like that? So it's their own uh, microcontroller. Okay. Yeah, but um, but it's it's similar. But what they're really doing these days, having you know innovated on the hardware, they they pivoted, they sort of expanded on that really quickly to be more of a software services company and provide all of the things that you would need to actually manage these devices. So you built them, they're all out in the world. How do you collect that data? Um, where are you storing it? Um, how is that stuff being transmitted? Is it secure? Is it private? Can you shut down devices? Make mm -hmm. sure that you don't turn into a Russian botnet that, you know. Um, and so, um, you know, the, these kinds of companies as they grow, now this now Particle was sort of a product that, that was being sold to developers bottom up. And now they're getting larger contracts with big enterprise clients. And so you might say, well, you know, Root Ventures is not providing a lot of value there. Well, one thing was we helped, in, we helped introduce them to investors that, that do help there. And then... One thing I've been really impressed with is Avidan, our our founding um, partner, has always been the first phone call of a lot of these companies. Even even after the company outgrowing us, um, you know, we've put in a very small amount of capital compared to other people. Mm -hmm. We maybe don't have the board seat anymore; it's turned into a board observer seat. But just having the trust of the entrepreneur, um, you know, as a former you know operator, as venture capitalists call people who do work operators. Um, so uh, as a former operator, I, you know, I, I definitely appreciate the idea of having an investor that has empathy with what you're doing. Um, times get tough for everybody. Um, there's uh, almost no successful company that, that has zero bumpy road behind them. You hear lots of stories about startups almost shutting down and then finding a way, you know, multiple times on the way to being successful. And that kind of support is, um, something that we try to provide and we think that, that need never goes away. So Lee, thank you for it, for those examples. I, I feel like we need to take a break. Uh, so let's take a break. We'll be right back. Okay. This is the part where we talk about you. Yes, you. Midway through each show, we take a break from informing listeners about all the amazing things going on in the world of business and technology to personally deliver your message to our innovation-driven, industry-leading listeners. If you'd like to be a part of the show and become a sponsor of the segment, and reach out to Mike and Nikiso at this is cool at disruptiveinnovationpodcast.com or this is deep at disruptiveinnovation.info. <laughs> reach out to us and we'll get you on the show. Thank you very much. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everyone. So 
really incredible discussion at the beginning of the segment, uh, and I want to keep it going. So, uh, Mike and, and and Lee, uh, why don't we pick up on on where we left off and and just keep keep the conversation going? Great. So, Lee, deep tech versus hard tech. So, how do you think about this? Yeah, I mean, we use the word hard tech pretty intentionally, and for the stuff that I'm doing in the software space, I use the term hard software. I, I think um, it's a little bit splitting hairs, but deep tech sometimes folks think about okay, this is academic research. Um, you know, this is SBIR, sort of government-funded level research. And we're really interested in technology that is ready to be, to be deployed. We're really interested in the business applications. We look, we're looking not only at the technical risk, but is this something the world actually needs and uh, is willing to pay money for? So we believe there is venture-scale returns that are available in applying technology to, to real problems. Um, and we, we kind of there are except there are a few exceptions to this where we're looking at companies where we are underwriting real science risk. Mm-hmm. But in men, in most cases, it's engineering because um, we're engineers, not scientists. Okay, that's great. So now let's let's spend some time peering into your portfolio, right? And for the benefit of our listeners, I think we're going to look into three different categories. Right? We're going to look first, I think, at the investments, and you've made a number of investments in food and agricultural tech. And, and clearly we've heard from the United Nations, we're facing a huge humanitarian crisis, our inability to feed people. So talk to me about what are some of the companies you've invested in? What is it about this category that excites you and your partners? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, this is another area where I think some of the partners have uh, slightly different angles and takes on on exactly what's going on here. But I think we all agree that there is a crisis in food sustainability. There's also kind of a crisis in the food desert of, uh, of various parts of the country and around the world. So um, we have a number of investments here. So uh, some of them kind of take the tailwinds of changes in labor. Okay. Where that's, that is definitely one of the big costs behind food. If you look even at agriculture or you look at the restaurant, uh, labor costs are one of the things driving up prices of food. So we have a company that we've invested in called Creator. It's actually one of the first investments that uh, that Root Ventures did. And Creator is basically automating the process of creating a hamburger. And so what you can do when you when you reduce the cost of labor in creating one is you could either say this is uh, this is going to be cheaper than McDonald's, or you could say we're going to try to provide higher quality ingredients and really use the savings towards higher quality food and creators taken the latter approach. Um, so rather than rather than trying to be cheaper than McDonald's, it's trying to be, um, I, I guess I may offend people if they have particular hamburger sensibilities, but uh, having lived in New York for a while, I think of Five Guys. Uh, so <laughs> is there uh, a Five Guys quality burger at McDonald's level prices? That's what creators are working on. And we've also got um, on the agriculture side, a company called Tortuga AgTech mm-hmm. that is doing strawberry picking. And so you're seeing these global trends that, you know, we're, none of us are fans of, but they're inescapable realities that you look at um, decreasing immigration in uh, the U.S. and in the U.K. and, and places like this um, has made access to labor much more difficult. It's made the cost of labor go up. Um, at the same time, a lot of places in the world are seeing more demand uh, for for food. So uh, Tortuga is working on a computer vision driven system that will pick strawberries. And uh, so r- robotic automation, Tortuga the, being yeah. the turtle. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Tortuga yeah. Yeah, being turtle. And and the 
the computer vision system identifies the berry, kind of finds the optimal time uh, to pick it, and um, the, the robot is actually trying to pick it gently. Because you another another area right that drives up costs of food is food waste. And berries are an area where if you bruise a strawberry, you can't sell it. And yep. it's kind of ridiculous, right? I mean, if you bruise if you bruise a strawberry and eat it the same day or two days out, it's totally fine. Um, but uh, consumers won't buy it. Aesthetics. So, it's all the aesthetics, right? Totally, yeah, totally. Yeah. But on the other hand, also a bruise will make it last uh, a little less long, for yeah, sure. Yeah. So um, the videos are kind of adorable. It sort of delicately, gingerly picks a strawberry and puts it in like, a little individual <laughs> cup. But it's actually a surprisingly hard problem. Um, and then I would say probably an example of our deepest tech um, that I would definitely call science risk rather than engineering risk is a company called WildType. Uh, so WildType is building uh, lab-grown salmon, so cell cult cell-cultured meat. So what they've done is create is taken a stem cell um, and a stable cell culture line to actually create salmon meat in the lab. So no fish is actually created, um, and it's it's amazing and fascinating. I think like one one area that's often overlooked when people think about food tech, they think about what Americans care about: hamburgers, pizza. Uh, maybe they think about pasta. What they're ignoring is that fish around the world, um, you know, the countries that have billions of people in them, or right. sorry, a billion people in them, uh, are using different sources of protein. Uh, people are not eating beef in China or India. Um, so salmon, uh, the oceans are being overfished. Right. Um, there are lots of complexities with inland fish farming and with near ocean farming uh, of fish, uh, including disease and just sort of cost scalability. So Given enough advances in science, which WildType is doing incredibly quickly, um, it could be possible to make 100% cell cultured meat. Um, and uh, so, lab raised meat rather than dealing with the farms and the complexity around farming itself, but actually doing this and cult cultivating it in the lab environment. Absolutely. And, and I think one thing I just love about WildType is it really is just this classic venture investment of. Um, you know, if it works, it could be the biggest thing ever. I mean, you're talking about um, a future where all meat is grown in a lab and people kind of look in hindsight and say, wasn't it absurd that we like raised animals and then killed them and ate their meat? Um, it the doesn't lab, make yeah. any sense. It's cruel and it's uh, inefficient. Um, and obviously today, you know, this process of creating cell cultured meat is not more cost effective than raising a fish, but that's the whole goal. Um, so Lee, if all goes well, how far away are we from seeing this? Oh, man. Well, what I would say is that every time I put a number on that to the founders of WildType, <laughs> to Justin and Arya, they look shocked and offended that that uh, I think it's going to take so long. And then they've beaten basically every milestone. Um, so, you know, I would be uh, a little hard pressed to put a number on it. But, it, you know, it's not it's not tomorrow. But let's say it's a, it's a much harder problem than, say, Beyond Meats or Impossible. Okay. A lot of the other alternative meat that you see out there is either doing a proprietary mix of different kinds of plant-based proteins, or in some cases, they're genetically modified organisms, GMOs. Um, so without going too deep technically into what Impossible and Beyond are doing, that that's more or less um, what's going on. And this is kind of a fundamental... These are Again, great products and uh, definitely some interesting technical challenges. But um, the, the process of actually creating meat in the lab is, uh, is quite, quite a bit more challenging. But we think this is a great example of you know, the, the no risk, no reward in venture. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, well, the burgers taste good. I, I can't lie. And it's certainly, 
I, you know, you said it. Uh, if if they're on the menu, you're you're eating them. I, I'm doing the same thing. Absolutely true. And I hope in a few years, when you see wild type salmon on the menu, you're going to get it every time too. Cool. So, lead. Let's let's dig into one last company before we break. And you know, if if people are out there in uh, listening land, then it's 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 inconceivable that they haven't heard about Hurricane Dorian. Okay, it's just devastated the Bahamas. I know you're from Florida. You, yep. You've been around for a number of these. One of the companies that you referenced earlier was Particle, right? And Particle has unique ability um, and, and, and already proved that ability in hurricane, during Hurricane Irma. So can you talk about how Hurricane um, Dorian might have less devastating damage if Particle had been deployed? Yeah, so there is a case study on the Particle website about a company called Opti that is doing sensors. Um, that are attached to sort of a dynamic uh, flood mitigation system. Mm -hmm. So Particle is, you know, uh, really appropriate for any time you have a fleet of sensors in the field and you're needing to get uh, data into the cloud, you're needing to act quickly on on readings that come out of sensors. So Opti, you know, honestly, this is kind of a story about Opti rather than Particle, where Particle is kind of the enabling technology under this, you know, really amazing application. And, And I should say that, I'm a fifth generation Floridian. My nieces and nephews are sixth generation Floridians. I, my grandfather built a house specifically in Fort Pierce to resist hurricanes. It was right on the Indian River. Wow. And I've been through more hurricanes than I can even recount. I mean, I, I just remember the category fours and fives. The hmm. the one, twos, and threes were, you know, just sort of multiple per per summer for the 19 years I lived there. Wow. Um, and, you know, I, I was there during um, the devastation of Hurricane Andrew, which absolutely devastated uh, major parts of Miami, specifically communities that, um, you know, were, were already uh, sort of, uh, you know, struggling or underserved. So I'm not familiar with Opti, just sorry to interrupt, but is this like a coastal uh, detection system? Are you imagining this as being, is this something that's deployed? And obviously uh, I, like our listeners, will need to go to the website to take a look. Is this a coastal deployment uh, awareness system that's, uh, uh, you know, you then can, I guess, what, it's an app enabled. Can you talk a little bit about that just so our listeners have a sense of how it works and how Particle is the platform that enables it? I think maybe that, that context might be helpful. Yeah, so um, what it is, is a, it's actually a, a drainage system that's dynamic. Ah. Um, and so there's a lot of different ways that hurricanes cause devastation. One is obviously the wind, but another is flooding. And I think that's kind of the one that's often overlooked. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Lots of causes of flooding, but certainly one of them is is poor drainage. Um, so these systems are actually deployed, you know, not on the coast, but in the actual uh, drainage system. Oh, I see. Okay, okay. So it sounds to me like uh, the, that the choices, uh, and, and Mike and I talked about a number of different companies, and we're running short on time. Uh, which, Mike, really, this just means a uh, part two. You know, it sounds like uh, we yeah. need to bring you back for another conversation. But um, it sounds like you guys are not just making decisions and, and you and your partners are not making decisions purely based on uh, where the best bet is, but rather also where the impact is. And, and that's, I think, at the core of what deep tech really is. It's this idea that these are the technologies that are really going to uh, leapfrog us into the, the, the future. Um, is, is, that a, is that a right assessment? Any investor um, can sort of pick and choose what they're investing in. And I think we're always focused on returns. But I think one thing that is really amazing and just kind of enjoyable about being an investor is being able to kind of fund the change that you want to see in the world. And I I don't believe there's any investor that funds something they think is bad for the world. 
we're going to take a break. Uh, this conversation has been fantastic. Lee, we appreciate you being here. Uh, we'll take a break and come back to our last segment, uh, Three Things. This week's topics are brought to you by Rutgers University and its leading disruptive innovation certificate program. At Rutgers, we bring together industry thought leaders and top academic faculty to help you develop your understanding of a range of topics and skills to proficiently navigate the turbulent environment and emerge with a competitive advantage. For more information and to enroll in the Leading Disruptive Innovation Program, visit li.rutgers.edu. So um, we like to end the show, as you know, Mike, with uh, me picking your brain about three things you read this week uh, for our listeners. What you got for me? Yeah. So let's start with, well, let's connect back to episode three in Mm -hmm. the deep dive on China. Excellent. So um, obviously there's been a lot of unrest in Hong Kong. Yep. And, you know, two very interesting announcements came out of China. One of them was Alibaba, who's already had one of the largest IPOs in history on the New York Stock Exchange. Mm -hmm. And with everything we talked about, you know, made in China 2025 and bringing capital back to China, Alibaba had planned to also list on the Hong Kong Stock Exchange. But the unrest in Hong Kong has been so significant and Alibaba has decided to postpone for the foreseeable future. But what's even more interesting is one of the two most well-known Chinese AI companies, and I say AI uh, a bit loosely because what they're really into is machine vision and machine learning and facial recognition. The company known as Megvi, Mm -hmm. M-E-G-V-I-I, has in fact made the announcement that they will list on the Hong Kong exchange. And so this is going to be the first Chinese AI unicorn that will take itself public. Hmm. Okay. And in the, you know, this war for technological supremacy that we discussed last time, right? Um, you know, it's an example of sort of a pure play AI company. It's in, in some ways, it's like the Sputnik, uh, the, the US <laughs> Russian uh, space race for, you know, uh, who was going to be technologically ahead. And this is a shot across the bow for sure. This is a, a significant announcement coming out of China. And, and just on, on that point, right? So, uh, Definitely curious about that that company you just mentioned, but do you think the Alibaba is is that a political play? Are they being you know did they delist and not make that decision because they were getting pressure from you know the government or was that a business decision? What do you I, think? I think it's a, first of all they didn't delist right, so they're they're on the New York Stock Exchange, right? So they're already trading, but now yep. they want to be able to offer their shares you know on the Hong Kong Stock on Exchange. The, yes. So so I do think it was a business decision. Okay. I just think that the environment there is you know so challenging right yeah, now yeah. that you know there, there's just there's no reason why they can't wait. They don't need the cash. Right. Right. Got it's it. it's not an issue like a lot of American companies that have gone public because they need the cash like Lyft and Uber and others. Got it. All right. Fantastic. Number 2. So number 2 is uh, a very interesting announcement that was just made by Samsung. Mm-hmm. And the announcement okay. is that they are releasing only in South Korea at this point in time, the first ever blockchain enabled handset. <laughs> so Samsung, and this and this does in fact relate very much to Partech, the yep, tech, right? Yep, yep. Because just like the internet took 50 or 60 years to evolve, just like AI did, we're still in the very early innings of blockchain. Yeah. And yeah. so Samsung is trying to jump the gun. And so they have their own branded Clayton blockchain platform. Yep. And they are selling 
their traditional phone, but using not the Android operating system, but their own Clayton platform, specifically to enable blockchain, uh, you know, trusted yep. financial transactions. Mm-hmm. So it'll be very interesting to see. My my guess is it's way too early for this. Fair enough. I think about Google Glasses, and I think about so many really cool technologies that were just, they, they clearly are going to have an impact, but it's just ahead of its time. Right, but I, I do think to your point, right? It's, it is a shot saying we're gonna we're gonna take that risk. We're gonna we're gonna see what happens. Yes. Okay. And, and then the last one comes down to the regulatory regimes that we're starting to see for for decades. Mm-hmm. Silicon Valley could do no wrong. They were celebrated as rock stars. And pretty much whatever it is that they wanted to do, they were able to do. Yep. Every few years, they would trot Mark Zuckerberg and Sheryl Sandberg <laughs> in front of Congress. And like Pinocchio, their noses would grow longer and longer. But today, um, another company, YouTube, yep. was fined a record amount privacy. of money yep. for violating the privacy of children. Mm-hmm. And so I think we're starting to see a trend here that you know the, the hall pass for these companies is over, right? Obviously, what what Facebook did was egregious. They lied in in, in extraordinarily explicit ways repeatedly. This is a much more subtle type of violation, but it still has engendered significant, you know, record-level fines. So I think that, you know, Silicon Valley is is facing a very different environment today than they've ever faced. They're going to have to be a lot more cautious about how they proceed when it comes to how they use our data. So this will not be the last time we see, you know, record level fines being levied against these companies. Yes, no, I, I agree. And I think that one of the things that's interesting is, you know, in the last, what, few weeks, we've seen uh, companies, uh, mostly foreign-based companies that are doing the image recognition. Uh, you take a picture, they age you, you know. Um, face app. Face, exactly, the face app. And then the next iteration of face app, which is now doing the voices and deep fakes. So I think you're, you're absolutely right that the, these companies are, are now in a realm where privacy matters and people are paying attention. My concern, actually, and I, I, I think this is probably a conversation for another segment, uh, is what happens when it's not our regulatory environment, but it's those other places where regulatory environments are you know, pretty fluid, right? Yeah. So surveillance economies. Surveillance yeah. economies. So yeah, it, it's certainly uh, you know, very interesting stuff. And, and as usual, you and I could probably keep going and going. Um, but uh, I think we're going to call it a night. All right. Always a pleasure, Nikiso. Always fantastic, Mike. Thank you, everyone, for listening to our podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe on any of your podcast platforms and give us five stars so we can keep doing this and bringing you the content that you love to hear. Thank you.